Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. So let you know, y'all know too, I'm pretty relaxed too, so it's okay. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks, Pastor Aaron, for uh, having me come through again. Last time I was here, I was preaching on a sermon called God of Power and where I coined the word discipleship. And ever since then, I have been using that, that the disciples followed Jesus into a ship. Therefore, it made it discipleship. So that's who I was. And that, that was me. So thank you for allowing me uh, to coin uh, that particular phrase. Um, so just we have some major deep things to cover. And so um, most of you guys have no idea who I am. You don't know me. You see me. You're like, okay, this guy is here. Um, so we, we got to listen to him. Some of you guys, uh, you know, you're, you, essentially you're stuck right now. Um, and I want you to understand this in this sermon. Um, I'm going to ask that you um, just listen. Uh, I'm going to ask that you would uh, take guards and put the guards down for, for a second, because it's going to be some hard things that we talk about. Uh, I, I know I don't have the credibility with you to say certain things to you, but by the, by the nature of uh, me being a guest speaker today and speaking on this topic, I don't have time uh, for the politics and to be super cordial. So you will have to forgive me um, and give me grace in that. We also don't have a lot of time, too. And like my old pastor used to say, like a, a time clock on a chocolate preacher is kryptonite. So um, I'm also going to be jumping through some things pretty, pretty fast. And so but I just want you to listen. Um, so we're going to be um, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter six, uh, verses one through seven. And I, I want you to uh, understand uh, that this uh, in this series that we were doing about relationships and tension, um, black versus white. Um, you know, in our country, in our narrative, the black versus white um, topic is probably more, you know, prevalent. Um, but there are also subcultures um, of other, um, you know, issues that have gone on. And when I say subcultures, it's not saying a, a derogatory thing, but there's other underneath narratives that have been woven into the history of our country and the history just of the world when it comes to the issue of race, class, segregation, all of these different things. So with all that being said, we are going to look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, because um, we live in America, um, and we got a lot of stuff. Uh, we, we watch you know, these videos on uh, uh, Facebook, and these people making these crazy burgers that are like bigger than a, 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 like a, a baby. Um, and we have a lot of access to a lot of food and um, entertainment, all these different things. And sometimes we like to think that we are more sophisticated in 2019. And then also, um, we are the standard of what's right and wrong, and that we are more advanced than things that have happened in the past. Well, I'm actually going to kibosh all of that um, and just take that, roll it, and then put it in the trash. Because Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 7, was written a whole, a whole long time ago, and it's happened before. And so we are going to examine God's word and his text and what he says about this particular passage. So if you would um, meet me in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, I will read. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews, again, against the Hebraic Jews, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, 
It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to the preaching or to ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurius, Nicander, Timon, Perminius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, um, you are so loving and so caring and so tender, um, and yet your eyes are filled with intensity um, and, and fire of, of purity. Um, and so, God, I ask that today you would um, anoint my mouth, that you would remove me from this, and I also pray that you would remove any barriers um, from my friends to um, really receive your word that you have for us today. It's true, Lord God, that your word is timeless, it's a forever classic, and it um, pierces deep into our flesh and our bones, into the deepest inner, inner um, parts of our, of our hearts. Lord, we can't escape you. We can't escape even being wounded by you graciously for our healing and for our joy. So we pray that today that you would wound us with your grace, that you would wound us with your mercy. And we know that even in the wound, we can find truth and reality in what you have for us today. So God, would you be with me? Would you remove anything unhelpful from my friends here? I pray that you would speak. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, Acts chapter 6 is a very interesting um, uh, passage. So basically what's been going on in the context of this scripture is, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, um, in Acts chapter 2, you have the Holy Spirit being poured out. The Holy Spirit is the second mem member of the Trinity of, or the Godhead. You will not find the word Trinity in your Bible, but you will um, find the word God or Yahweh, and God constitutes as three particular persons, um, as Father, Son, and Spirit. They are all God. And so they are one, they are, it's called the three in one. Yeah, that's a mind, that's a mind diaper for you right there. Okay, so you'll definitely need one in understanding who God is and his nature and his character. Well, the second member of the Trinity is being poured out onto the people who were um, waiting, as Jesus told them to wait and not to leave the city. Well, the Holy Spirit pours out upon them, and there was uh, the word that they used for um, the Holy Spirit pouring out upon them is that the disciples received power. That word power um, in the original language means dunamis, is where we get our word dynamite from. So all of a sudden, they received this power. And they were called to be God's witnesses to their uh, neighborhoods, their blocks. I also use other words that may be some slang uh, called slangology. Um, I will interpret as much as possible as well to make sure that we're all on the same page. But basically, the Holy Spirit has poured out his spirit. Um, God's poured out his spirit on the people and all the people start to speak tongues in other languages. Basically, what that would look like is all of a sudden, the holy, uh, like a gust of rushing wind came down, boom, and then such a say I'm from Spain and I start speaking in my native tongue and let's say you are from Korea and you don't speak my language and I don't speak yours and all of a sudden I'm speaking in my native tongue and you a person who does not even know how to speak that can understand what I'm saying 
And the, what you're hearing is not just, oh my gosh, I'm hearing. What you're hearing is I'm declaring the excellencies of God. Now that's crazy. So what God is doing is he's showing people that he supersedes even all cultures and languages. That his gospel is not bound by time, space, and barriers of languages and cultures. And what he does is he starts to unite a new people in himself. Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter stands up and gives his first sermon. I would usually teach that sermon, but it's a whole chapter long. And so we don't have that much time. But he gets up there. He preaches the beastliest sermon, which means awesome. He preaches this beastliest sermon. And then people are start tripping and they go, oh, my God, what do we need to do? Peter then says, repent and be baptized. And all of a sudden, 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom that day. So here is the power of God, the spirit of God being poured out upon the church. And people are getting saved left and right. They're coming to Jesus and they're following Jesus. Well, that's great, right? That's just, well, that's what we're here for, right? The, the church is this multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Yay, yay. Yes, in God's kingdom. Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 7, you can read more about God's multi-ethnic church. But we also don't have to really look towards Revelation. We can actually look in Acts and see the multi-ethnic church bloom. You see, multi-ethnicity is not the same of multicultural. You can have a church that has multi-ethnic, but all cultures are different. Some of us, we can be in a church that is multicultural, but it only has one ethnicity or vice versa. So even when we see people from other ethnicities, it's not to assume, oh, our church is super diverse and very multi-ethnic because it might not be. You guys might all come from the same form of theology, which embodies a certain culture, which means that you're not really multicultural. You're monocultural. That makes sense? Okay, so it's very important to understand because, again, this has happened before. What we're in right now, and you see a huge movement and push and way for multi-ethnicity to fight against racial injustice. And everyone's talking about race and harmony and unity and all these different things. This has happened before. So in Acts chapter 6, basically it says that the disciples, as I gave the context of the text, the disciples um, in, in the church is just blowing up. It is growing. It's got so many people in it. And then there comes a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews um, for their widows from they were being overlooked from the daily distribution. Well, basically what a Hellenistic Jew is, a Hellenistic Jew is someone who is a Jew, but who is part of the diaspora. The diaspora when um, the nation of Israel would be exiled. And all the different Jews, they would go and they would actually live in certain lands. And even when the temples would, was rebuilt, they didn't go back to the temple and go back to their native, their native country. And they stayed in, their, uh, in, in that land that they were already in. So these Hellenistic Jews all of a sudden hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now they are being involved and in a church with other Hebraic Jews. Well, what's the problem? There shouldn't really be a problem, but there was a huge cultural and racial rift between these two sects of Jews. Hellenistic Jews were people who uh, uh, were um, Greek-speaking Jews, and they embraced Greek culture. So they weren't, they didn't read um, from, you know, the Old Testament Hebrew um, law. They read from the uh, Septuagint, which was Greek. And so they even were reading the same things, but from different texts and different languages. And then when to put this down into it, there has been a huge rift the whole time between who's really a true Jew. If you're really a true Jew, you worship where we worship. 
you read the same things we do, and culturally you embody and you value the same things that we value. And so there was this distinction of higher class and lower class. So the Hebraic Jews were all haughty, talking about how good they were and how amazing they were. And, and they, were, um, they were frustrated um, in a lot of components, and the scriptures will talk about it, of how these lesser Jews were now part of the family of God. And then the Hellenistic Jews were pretty upset that how dare these people think they're so awesome and we don't like you either. So it's not just one side looking down on the other. It's one side looking down and the other side looking up and saying, we don't like you. So when Jesus comes in, all our hate uh, and animosity towards other people starts to get a little messed up. Your, your uh, stuff is not safe when it comes to the gospel. I know we lock our doors at night because we don't want anybody to come in and take anything. Rightly so. You should do that. But when you're sitting there and you're hearing the gospel, God's like, I know you locked the door, but uh, unlock, unlock, unlock. And he goes in and he takes all your stuff so that you're sitting there like, oh, snap, something just happened. And that's what God does to our prejudices, to certain views that we have that are not of him, that are not godly, that are not right. And he comes in and he snatches them away. And now we have to deal with this problem that our house is empty. And so as he comes in and he takes this stuff, now you have these two people together. Well, the way that it worked was, um, uh, if, you were, if you were a Jew and you came to Jesus Christ, you would be kicked out of <laughs> your place of worship because now you've believed in a different God because the Jews were like, you, have, you can't believe in Jesus. That was one of the reasons why they sought to kill Jesus because you, a man, make yourself to be God. C.S. Lewis says, Jesus is either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. So you've got to deal with him. Either Jesus was a crazy liar and he said he was God uh, or he was a lunatic or he was really who he says he was. And so if you believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, 100 percent God, 100 percent man, you got kicked out. And now if you were a widow who didn't have a husband to help you provide, your um, place of worship was the place that actually provided for you. And now to follow Jesus meant that cost them something. It's going to cost them family. It's going to uh, cost them community. So they start to follow Jesus. And now all of a sudden, they are at a disadvantage because they do not have provision. So not only do they not have provision, they are also the culture that is looked down upon in this society and in this culture. And basically, when they were giving out the distribution of, of food and of care and money, basically what happens is, is the Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked by the dominant culture. So the Jews being the Hebraic Jews and the dominant culture were overlooking the uh, uh, Hellenistic Jews in the subdominant culture. You can think of it very easy in our country as whites and African-Americans. That's the easiest one to paint and show you. So now you have this happening. So this is what happened. The 12, meaning the apostles, the leaders um, of the church, summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give, uh, give up preaching to the word of God to wait on tables. I still don't really know how, like, what this really means. Um, it kind of sounds like I don't want to do that stuff. I just want to preach, which I understand. Um, but at the same time, most uh, people, when they preach this text, they preach this is the main piece of the text. So when we look at churches, we have two different offices in the church. We have an office of a deacon and we have an office of a, of a pastor. And so basically this is where in Acts chapter six, where the, a deacon is created. The deacons are created because as this was happening, 
They said, brothers and sisters, select from among you um, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, and then we can appoint um, to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. So everybody was like, I like this idea because we're getting overlooked. So what they said was, we want you to pick people who are from among you, who are Hellenistic, who represent you, and we will say, let you handle that portion of the distribution to you to make sure that you're not getting slighted out of it. And so the people chose Stephen, a man full of faith, the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Perimius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And they had them stand before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. One thing that's important to note, this is why it's important to look in your scripture, and you look at the names. These, some of these names are not um, all Greek, but um, for example, if you look at um, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. If you look in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13 is actually um, where Christians were first started to be, or people, disciples were supposed to, uh, first started to be called Christians. That's where that term came from. Now, Antioch was a church um, not started by Jews. It was started by Gentiles. So these people heard the gospel, and all of a sudden, they're like, we got to start a church. And then once the disciples uh, heard about it, the apostles in Jerusalem, they're like, hey, uh, we need to make sure they're legit. So they send uh, Barnabas and Barnabas actually takes Paul or Saul with him into that church and they actually are there at that church for a long period of time and then it was there where Barnabas and Saul prayed together with the leaders of this multi-ethnic church which you if you look in your text you got people from Africa because you do know that Egypt is in Africa right Okay, so you have Egyptians, you have African, you have all different types of, you have Asians, you have all different types of, uh, of people in this church, this multi-ethnic church. So even Nicholas was a convert from Antioch. And so they had these people that represented the people there. And they called them up and they said, you guys represent your people. You see, I think one of the things to draw from here is this is that what would it look like if the church leaders, or if you or I, would, instead of arguing whether or not there is a racial or cultural problem, if we started, what if we stopped debating the reality or the validity of it, accept, or just accept it, and then do something about it? You see, they, the disciples, they, the apostles, they accept the reality. They're like, look, we know there's an issue, so here's what we're going to do to fix it. Most often in our time today, when we say there's an issue racially, we say, oh, there's no such thing as that anymore. We're evolved. Uh, we've gotten better. The only thing that we get better at, y'all, is inventing new ways to excuse our sin and our mess. That's what we get better at. We don't get better as time goes by. We still have our prejudices. We still have our hate, even when we come into the family of God. But God is so gracious, tender, and caring that he loves to work in us and through us for his good work. Did you know that it says that the world will know us by our love for one another? So what would it look like if I walked into Starbucks and I, and I got to the counter and I said, hey, I would like to have a pair of Jordan Concords 11. If you don't know what that is, it's a shoe, okay? Um, it's one of the most iconic Nike Jordan Jumpman shoes known to date. So if I walked into Starbucks and said, I would have a Jumpman 11, and they're like, what are you talking about? I explained to them, it's a, it's a shoe. And they say, well, sir, this is Starbucks. We serve coffee here. Or if I walked into Nike and into the store and said, hey, uh, can I get those pair of Adidas shoes? And they're like, sir, you know what our logo is, right? 
It's, it's a swoosh. You're looking for the three stripes, which is Adidas. You see, in Christianity, for us, love is our logo. The world will know us by our love that we have for one another. A lot of people are confused with our brand because brand management has been way off. Brand management is not about the lights. It's not about the fancy songs. It's not about how cool and how hip you are. Who cares? This stuff is going to perish anyway. And then even amazing megapixels of our smartphones are, we're going to be looking, our kids are going to be looking at them like we look at our parents, like, oh my God, what a loser. Those pixels were terrible. What were you wearing? Even though we think that we're awesome right now, all those things will pass away. New things will be invented and we will continue to go this way. But what if love was our logo? Because Jesus said that you will know, you will know, they'll know that you are of me by your love for one another. So what would it look like if love was our logo? What it would look like is acknowledging the problem and then seeking to fix it. Not denying the problem, not trying to solve it, not trying to say, well, I think blah, 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 blah. We don't have time for that. Let's be honest and let's be real. There's a problem. Let's look to Jesus and to his gospel to see it fixed. So I want you to know when you hear me, I love the church. I'm part of the church. The church is God's bride. Jesus ransomed her uh, from slavery with his own blood. So don't hear this sermon thinking I hate the church or that I'm an angry black man. Yes, I am black. Yes, I do get angry, but this is not angry black man, okay? Or that I hate white people, or that I hate America, or that I'm here pushing politics, uh, or that I'm slightly or just slowly only pushing sociology, or that I'm, uh, I just want you to know that I'm here pushing Jesus Christ and his gospel. But we have to be real. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ calls us to tell the truth and to be about the truth. We must not only be hearers of the word, but we must be doers of the word. So as disciples of Jesus Christ, we not only need a robust theology connected to a robust neighborology. So how do we really love our neighbor? We have to understand Satan's devices um, and his plans and his ways that deceive um, people. And if possible, even using racism or invisible lines or segregation or cultural barriers to divide what God took two different people and created one new man and one new race. I don't have time to get into it, but race is like a construct. Race is created by man. And when race was created, it was created to create certain classes of people to say that one's higher and one's lower. You can read about it in um, a lot of different books. I don't have the time to um, talk about those different things, but race is a construct. Whenever it talks about race in the scriptures, it says you are a holy race, a royal priesthood. And he talks about that one race being Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles means everybody else. That means me, means you. If you're not of Jewish descent, it means Gentile. That's what you are. That's what I am. All combined into one. That's the new people. That's the new race um, that God created. The reason why this is really important is because in Ephesians chapter 2, what God did is um, he tore down a wall that divided people. He tore down a wall that divided a Jew and Gentile. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by those called the circumcised, which is done 
in the flesh by human hands. At one time, you were, with, uh, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners of the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Stop. He tore down a dividing wall of hostility. Now, again, hear me. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care what your political party is. I don't care what your political affiliations are. This is what the scriptures say. Now, we know that when the nation of Israel was just devastated, they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the wall. You can read about that in Nehemiah. Now, wall, this wall was built for protection of the city. Now, today's conversation about wall is all about keeping certain people out, not protecting us. We have to understand that walls are not bad. Fences are great. They keep your kids from running into the street. They keep people out that don't need to be there. But when you come and you start talking about these things being predicated upon a person's ethnicity or their social class, now we have a problem because the gospel does not condone those things. It does not. The reason why this is important is because what Jesus Christ did, he didn't build a wall. He tore down the wall and he said, now everybody comes together. Now, if you want to know who God wants you uh, or what political party God wants you to be for, God wants you to be for his perfect government, as Isaiah said, that he has the perfect government, that Jesus Christ is the true king, that he's the good king, that rules rightly, that judges justly and brings justice to injustice and shalom to chaos for all of our flourishing. So don't. Don't believe the lies and don't fall into the trap of Satan. Don't hear, don't hear, I'm saying you need to be a donkey or you need to be an elephant. We need to be sons and daughters of God first. Then decide those things. But if those things are what make you or identify you as a follower of Jesus, your hope is sorely misplaced, friends. It must be put in Jesus, in Jesus Christ alone. We do not need to sell out our affections to ideologies um, and identities of ethnocentrism, nationalism, individualism, or politics. Our new realities of this one new bride need to be soaked in the word of God in the reality of being made one new man. The church, Jesus' bride, and the issue of race has festered in the church for too long, and we, even in the church, have participated in the slavery of church, in the segregation of civil rights, segregation of seminaries, denial of baptisms. Um, and for hundreds of years, racial injustices have been calculated and intentional for hundreds of years. So how much more should we need to be proactive in unto- undoing that which was in- intentionally done because of the blood of Christ, because of who we are? We are called to undo the wrongs. We are called to make wrong things right, to join with God in his restoration of all things. I want to read uh, 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 something to you from a book called Race in Place. This is written by Professor David Leung. He is the assistant professor um, of uh, missions at SPU, Seattle Pacific University. This is what he says, and this is really important to understand. Patterns of exclusions, structures that divide, can seem hidden at first. It may look like there's nothing there at all, but in fact, there are outlines, contours, and images um, of deeper things going on. Housing, schools, transportation, social space, uh, and more. 
together these patterns put to something or point to something more meaningful that may not leap off the page in an instant, but can come into focus if we concentrate and know what we are looking for. These patterns are not only built environments, but they are also in the histories of social tendencies, hopes, and fears. And lastly, he goes on to say, many of the walls are both historic walls that have had lasting and unforeseen effects on their communities, and invisible walls have formed along racial and socioeconomic lines. Why is this important? This is important because if you want to understand how to really be evangelistic and understand more things in our culture and our society and really how to rightly apply the gospel to today, then you need to pick up stuff like this. This book is called The Color of Law. Um, the, the guy who wrote this is, he's not a Christian. Um, he's uh, a sociologist, brilliant. This actually just goes through the history of our country of, of redlining. Redlining and segregation. So if you don't know that, about that, the history of Seattle, we have redlined and segregated a lot of communities. Now what's happened is the Central District has been for a long time um, a place where you had to only live if you were black. So only, one of the only places you could live if you were black. You couldn't live outside the Central District. And then in this book, they talk about it. This is just history. Again, we can either acknowledge it or we can say, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, or we can just acknowledge that this is what happened. So it's true. The federal government segregated and gave laws on certain areas and certain places of where if you were a certain color or a certain culture, you could go to or not go to because of fear. This kind of happened once uh, America started fighting Japan in our World War. They, what they did was they rounded up all Japanese and Japanese Americans. And I don't know if you know, but the Puyallup Fairgrounds was actually an internment camp where we took Japanese people and put them. Did you all know that? That's why it's important to know our history, because it helps show us what is going on today. Why are our churches more segregated than schools? Because of certain lines access to education. If you live in a certain area, it means you're from a certain ethnicity. And now banks won't loan to you. Businesses won't come give you money. They just let you live. But now we talk about, ooh, it's an up-and-coming what neighborhood? This is a nice up-and-coming neighborhood. Most oftentimes, if you look historically, um, it's actually being gentrified. And the people who were there before could never get a loan in the business. And now these great businesses are popping up out of nowhere. And we're just like, yay, this is awesome. But there was these lines drawn. Blacks were denied loans, couldn't get business loans, couldn't buy a house. And so if you understand all of these things, our economics of our country are all tied to ethnicity. How you grow up. Oh, you come from a family with two parents. Come from a family with one parent. Or if you say, I'm driving down the street, that's a not so good neighborhood. Or I don't want to live in that neighborhood because they don't have good schools. Who in their right mind would want any of their kids to go to a terrible school? Nobody would. But yet, we can pass by and let and be okay with the school being terrible. And it's okay. Until a new business comes. A new housing development comes. And now that these new people are moving in, now we want good schools for our children. You see what I'm saying? Those are the invisible lines that he's talking about. Those are the walls that are going up that we cannot see. These walls have been up around for a long time. 
They go all the way from the making of, did you know that there was something called the slave Bible? There's something called the slave Bible. Now the slave Bible, about 90% of the Old Testament was missing. And then 50% of the New Testament was missing. Put in this way, there are 1,189 chapters in a standard Protestant Bible. But the slave Bible only contains 232. Again, we're very good at taking things, shifting them around so we don't have to look and we don't have to address it. But if the church is to be the logo of God, if the love is supposed to be the logo by which we represent Jesus, that when we love one another, we see that people see Jesus, then what are we to do with these such things? We are to fight for those things. We are to battle against the, um, the terrible lies that Satan would use to segregate us and to make us embittered against one another in our culture. What if we accepted the reality of what's going on? What if we educated ourselves and we made a decision that benefited the people? And again, don't hear, oh, are you talking about communism and what all the isms? And look, I don't have time for all those different things. I don't know even what all those different things mean unless I'm studying it and all these things. The gospel of Jesus Christ goes deeper than our political affiliations. It goes deeper than what kind of neighborhood we think is safe or unsafe. Nobody wants to be unsafe. That's why we wear seatbelts, and you don't just drive around, especially fast, without your seatbelt on. So again, don't hear me saying, oh, send them to the sharks. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, are we okay? Do we only want to have um, people, kids to have good educations when our kids go to the school or when our kids don't go to the school? Do we only want to live in a safe neighborhood when our neighborhood is safe and not when other people live in dangerous neighborhoods? Do we only want a good job and be okay with our great job when other people do not have access to job or education due to their race or socioeconomic statuses? Because it's history. This is what's happened. But I think Acts chapter six gives us a pattern to say, we don't have to follow that narrative. We don't have to do that. We can look from among us and then say, who is filled with the spirit of wisdom? Who's filled, who is a godly person? And because I don't know you, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I would submit, it's all y'all up in here, that it's you and that we're called to come together and that we're called to do something about it. You see, the social aspects of justice pertaining to ethnicity and other things are at the heart of the gospel. The message that there is a new king in a new kingdom. Christianity is communal. I don't know if you've ever had the shingles or known anybody that's ever had the shingles. It's due to nerve pain. When you have nerve pain, the rest of your body can feel it. When your brothers and sisters are crying, your colored brothers and sisters, your black brothers and sisters, your white brothers and sisters, all of our brothers and sisters, when they're crying and saying, injustice, injustice, do you feel that pain as if they were part of your body? Or do we have the disposition in the heart of a person who has leprosy, who can't feel when our limbs fall off, who can't feel when we're bleeding out? Do we represent the love and care of Jesus his gospel, and his kingdom, that God calls his people to a new people, a new race. 
You see, because all opponents of God's multi-ethnic kingdom will lose. They will lose. If you are a Christian or a disciple of Jesus, being a minister of reconciliation, of person restoring their relationship back to God and back to one another is the ministry that God has given us. So the question that I want to leave you with is this. What would it look like if we accepted the reality of the injustice and did something about it as his followers instead of acting like we just need to look past it? We have the tragedy of 9-11, which was an absolute tragedy. And we every year, whenever the anniversary hits, to honor and think about the people who lost their lives, we have a hashtag that says what? Never forget. But yet when it comes to race, injustice, segregation, redlining, mass incarceration, not access to education, family system broken down, the false war on drugs, whenever we talk about those things, we're told, why can't you just get over it? Forget about it. Let's just look past it. It's not happening. Don't be so emotional. But yet we have the culture today that says what we should never forget and what we should forget. You don't have to lose the never forget because you say, I don't have to forget. Because the gospel allows us to have both. To weep and mourn with those who've lost loved ones and families and say that that was wrong and that was injustice. And rightly say that on this other hand, this is wrong and this is injustice. We cannot allow for politics to drive our faith. We cannot allow for our prejudices to drive our faith. We cannot allow for our comfort to drive our faith. We must have the gospel of Jesus Christ to drive our faith. And then we can show people who Jesus is because love will be our logo. So I want you to do something today. I want you to find out where are the invisible lines or the walls that maybe you've never seen before. You maybe have heard some of these things that I'm talking about today. And you're like, man, I've never heard that. I want you to go and study those. I want you to go and find those things out and see how the gospel of Jesus Christ can apply to those things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, for your mercy, and for your wisdom. We thank you that you have allowed us to be um, in your family. We know that we are all in need of help. We all have um, horizontal issues where we judge people based on either their race, their criminal record, the way they raise their kids, their education, all these different things society says that we should judge people on, and we even do it ourselves. But God, would you help us be people who model you? Would you help us to be people who display your love? May you help us to be consistent with our brand. Will you help us to sell the right brand message that you are true, that you are good, that you are love, that you are gracious, and that you are kind. God, you love us so much deeper than, than lines of politics or, or race. You love us beyond all those things. And your Bible, the Bible that you gave us speaks to it. So God, may we be humble. May we understand that you love us. 
and that there is so much grace for us to continue to learn. Lord God, would you show us the invisible lines that maybe we have drawn or the walls that we have put up to segregate ourselves from other people and to not feel their suffering. Lord God, would you heal those of us who are right now lepers to actually be able to start feeling the nerve pain of our brothers and sisters? Would you help us in those things, God? We thank you for your truth of your gospel. We thank you that it speaks to us now, and we thank you that it encourages us. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.